You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Good morning, everybody. It is a joy to be with you guys. I, I shared at the first service as well. It's kind of like when I walked in the doors here. Even before I got to the door, there was folks um, saying hi and shaking hands. And so thanks for the warm welcome. It feels like just coming back to good friends. So like Dan said, my name is Derek. And uh, we've got some history with Praise Community Church. Because uh, back in the day when, when the church was just beginning, um, you actually met at the YFC Youth Center. Um, on South Federal, and so we kind of shared space for quite a few years, and uh, just have some real fond memories. It's just fun to see this, because my wife and I were talking, we did a banquet in here for YFC back when it was still the Elks Lodge, and the thing I remember most is, they served all of our beverages with Bud Light pitchers, (laughs) and so I'm wondering why our giving was lower that particular year. But anyway, it looked quite different than it does today. You guys have done a great job. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, Dan is right. I came 28 years ago and started in YFC, and so God has just been good and faithful. And uh, my family scenario looks a little different than back in the day. And I did have hair back in the day as well. Um, But my wife, Laura, is with us this morning. And then we've got Tyler is graduating next week. Katie is a freshman, soon to be sophomore. And Hannah on the left is going to be a sixth grader. And uh, these are my crew. And when I look outside of the dog, <laughs> these are my favorite people. <laughs> and the dog has its days. But yeah, we added a dog a year ago, and our kids wore us down, and so that's Badger. Um, but that is our crew. And um, this morning, as we're here today, Um, we celebrate. We celebrate Memorial Day and those who have um, made our freedoms possible. And we celebrate just the basics of what God has called us to be. So this morning, in the short time we have together, I just want to take us back to the basics. And and I want to do so by um, referring to a Packer coach. And I know a picture like that immediately alienates me from many of you that are Viking fans, right? (laughs) Just so you know, I'm married into this because my wife is from Milwaukee, so I had no choice in the matter. Um, But Vince Lombardi was famous for pulling the guys together on the first day of practice with the Packers. And he would hold a football up and he'd say, gentlemen, this is a football. And he would just take them immediately to the basics and that's how they practiced and that's how they played and that's how they won championship after championship. This morning, we're going to do the same. We're going to go right to the basics of this thing called the Christian faith and who we are. And I want to take you back to uh, the spring of 1979. As a 13-year-old kid, I am standing in the aisle of a Capels hardware slash sporting goods store in Atlantic, Iowa, and I'm staring at this wall of baseball gloves. I had just turned 13, and I had a bunch of birthday money and some money made from mowing lawns, and I was about to buy a legit infielder's glove Uh, to play second base. And so I was looking, and there was literally probably 50 different gloves on the wall, and then there was this one. And I remember pulling it down and putting my hand in it, and it just sort of fit like a glove. (laughs) And I thought, this is the one. And uh, so this glove is something that I cherish. And I want to pose a question as we start. What do you cherish? What do you cherish? This glove I cherish because it helped a shy, bullied 13-year-old kid coming out of middle school 
find something that he became passionate about and pretty good at. This glove provided a reason to play catch with my dad after supper on summer evenings. This glove fielded countless ground balls. It caught a few line drives. It dropped a few pop flies. But this glove has a story. It helped transform a team that had one of the longest losing streaks in the state of Iowa into a conference contender multiple years, my upperclassmen years. It went with me when I visited colleges, and it even participated in two major league tryout camps. This glove was on my hand during the season that my own faith came alive as a junior in high school, and it was with me when I ended up having a back injury that ultimately ended my baseball career. So this piece of leather is something that I cherish simply because it's part of my story. And so the question this morning is, what do you treasure? All of us have those things in our lives that we treasure. Maybe it's a ring on your finger. Maybe it's um, your Bible. Maybe it's a note that somebody wrote to you. Maybe it's that picture on your refrigerator that either a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter drew for you. All of us have those things we treasure. And God has the same. Our Father looks down and treasures you and me. He treasures our soul. And this morning, we want to take a look at just what exactly that means when God looks at us. The Bible talks a lot about treasures, and it reveals what we should treasure most. And when it's interesting because when Moses was ready to leave the Israelites, this was his parting words. He gets everybody together and he says, only be careful to watch over your souls closely. Your soul is the ultimate treasure in God's eyes. The soul is such a valuable thing that Jesus taught a lot about it and said specifically in Mark 5, he goes, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? Or what can anybody give in exchange for their soul? So why is our soul so valuable? Why does it matter so much? Well, a gentleman by the name of Dallas Willard, who is a theologian who studied this subject pretty much throughout his whole adult life, has written extensively about it. My personal intersection with this topic really kind of originated about two and a half years ago when I took uh, an eight-week sabbatical during the summer from Youth for Christ and really just dove into this particular topic. And I read extensively, and I started writing a little bit about it and started studying what is this thing called the soul and, and the idea of what does it mean to do soul care so that you're sharp and that you're vibrant in your faith for the long haul. And so I studied this guy named Dallas Willard, and this is one of the statements that he says. He says, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not external circumstances or your thoughts or your intentions or even your feelings, but it's your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that integrates and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. It is the life center of human beings. So this morning, here's the premise of this message in a sentence. You are not a body with a soul. You are a soul with a body. You're not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. The health of our soul is critical to every aspect of life. It's critical to our relationships. It's critical to our marriages. 
It's critical to our parenting, for those of us parents. It's critical to um, our work. It's critical to our character. There is no aspect of life that this does not impact significantly. And so it's important to ask the question, if it's so important, and as a church, if we're in this business of serving and saving and rescuing souls, well, what is a soul? What is a soul? And that's the question that Dallas Willard kind of is going to guide us through, and I've taken a few of his thoughts and just summarized, realizing this is a massive subject, and we have just a few minutes this morning. So this is the, the overview version. All right? So we're going to do it via a little diagram, and if you have a sermon handout, you're welcome to jot some notes on it. Otherwise, you can watch the screens as well. At the core of each of us is the will. And so envision your life being a, a series of circles that we're going to look at. We have a will. We're different than any other created being because we have the capacity to choose. We can say yes and we can say no. And what's interesting is that is what makes us a person and not a thing. The will in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, you, you, you read about the will, but you also read about the core of people being the heart. And many times when the term heart or spirit is used in the Old Testament, the root word for those words is the same root word for will. And that will is the ability for us to choose. Those of us who are parents who perhaps have had um, a child that has turned two years old and suddenly they start speaking, what's one of the first words out of their mouth? No. I've asked that in all kinds of different contexts and nobody has ever said yes. <laughs> Saying no is an exercise of the will. You know, we've often heard about, well, that kid is a strong-willed child, right? We all have this thing at the core of who we are is our will. And here's what's interesting. The will is really good at making big decisions. So if you're going to choose to take this job or move to this place or live in that house or the big macro kinds of decisions, your will leans in, and it's actually really good at making those decisions. Where it lacks is making those daily routine decisions to keep us on track. So I want to lose 10 pounds, right? And I might start out today, and by the end of the day, I'm eating a bowl of ice cream, right? Because that willpower, if that's all I have to lean on, has limitations. Here's the key thought. Your will was created to surrender to God. The posture of the will as God made us, and keep in mind, he didn't have to create us with a free will, but he chose to. He did. And that was a risk on his part because that means we can choose to not follow him. But he made us that way because that's the only way he can test true love for us. And so our will was created to surrender to God. That's the posture that we were made to be in with our will, with the core of who we are. So that's central to you and I. Second thing in this picture is we have a mind. And the mind actually contains the will. So the will is part of our mind. And that's why the outer circles in this diagram each contain what's inside them. Our mind contains both our thoughts and our feelings. If our mind is working the way it ought to work, the way God designed it, we would think thoughts that are always true, and we would desire things that are always right and good. And that's why Paul tells us in Philippians, 
And this is interesting because this is immediately following his address to dealing with anxiety, where he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. Then he follows it with Philippians 4.8. It says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure and lovely and admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. I don't know about you. I struggle with thinking those thoughts consistently. My mind is often a mess. My mind too often lets doubts and fears and false ideas and wrong desires kind of direct the way I think, the, the way I think. And over time, if we're not careful, those kinds of thoughts can define us. They can make us begin to think, that's who I am. If our minds are not working right, our behavior will not work right either. And that's the key thought with this, is that the will is unable to overpower a misguided mind. That's why our minds need to be transformed and renewed so that it's re they're reminded of what is right and what is true. Then we move the next circle out as we have a body. We look around the room, and all of us are sitting in the context of a physical body. That's our own little kingdom. That is the one place where your will and my will has free reign to rule, right? Our bodies are kind of like a little power pack. We can't be us without them. But our bodies are also influenced by all kinds of appetites and desires that come from our minds. Our body is simply the vehicle to do what our minds and our will tells it to do. And that's the key thought here, is that there's a direct relationship between your will, your mind, and your body. We move a layer out, and there's a social dimension to each of us. We live with a relational identity. This is who I am. I am somebody's son. I am somebody's husband. I am somebody's father. I am somebody's friend. I'm somebody's leader. And you can go on and on and on, but that's true for each of us. And each of those relationships and each of those voices help shape who we are as people. They influence the way we think and the way that we act. And Scripture is really clear when it says that God himself is love. So if you want a picture of what love really is, God himself is the essence of love right? And then he calls us to demonstrate that very love. And he does that in 1 John. He tells us uh, not just to love with words and tongue, but he calls us to love with actions and truth. In Mark 12, he gathers his disciples and he says this famous scripture verse. He tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our will, with all of our mind, with all of our body, and our soul, and then, oh, by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. It's almost as if Jesus knew how we were wired, right? The key thought here is that you and I were made to give and receive love. We were made to be vessels to give and receive love. And finally, you have the outer circle, which we'll call the soul. That represents our souls. And what's interesting is the soul is not this little separate entity 
And I always go back to a cartoon I grew up watching with Daffy Duck and Elmer Fudd. I don't know if you ever remember those cartoons where Elmer Fudd was always trying to shoot Daffy Duck. He'd shoot him and the bill would spin around or, you know, goofy things would happen. There's one episode where Elmer Fudd finally shoots him and Daffy Duck drops and suddenly you see his little soul float into the sky, right? I think a lot of times people have that kind of that image of what the soul is. It's like when we die, this little thing's going to go floating up, hopefully up, instead of the other way. But that's really not what the soul is. The soul is not a separate entity. The soul is who we are. And in this description, the soul seeks harmony, connection, and integration with all the other pieces. That's actually where we get the term integrity. When someone is living with integrity, there is alignment with their will, their mind, their body, and their relationships. And you see that in their actions. When your soul is healthy... There's harmony between those entities, and you're connected with both God and with people. When your soul is unhealthy, there's discord amongst those entities, and you begin to experience this thing called disintegration. You start kind of falling apart. So here's the key thought. Your soul is what integrates your will, your mind, your body, and your relationships into a single life. It would be awesome if it ended there, right? And in the garden, when Adam and Eve were first created, it did. And they were made to live this way. And then suddenly this thing happened that has damaged our souls ever since. You see, the soul, which is the deepest part of who we are, faces an enemy every single moment of every day. Sin is the arch enemy of the soul. Your soul cannot function properly when sin is present. Here's why. Sin enslaves your will. So instead of it being freely surrendered to God, it gets captured by all kinds of selfish desires. How many of you have ever struggled with wanting to be in control? Right? Wanting to call the shots. Sin deludes the mind. So instead of thinking true and righteous thoughts, we begin believing lies. Sin corrupts the body, so instead of living righteously, it causes us to pursue pleasure and establish unhealthy habits and do damaging things to ourselves. You ever been there? Sin damages relationships. So instead of freely giving and receiving love the way God made us to be, we begin to isolate ourselves. We keep things superficial, or we experience strife and conflict. And as all of these things happen, piece by piece, many times very subtly, our soul becomes disintegrated. It becomes tore apart. And that's why James, in the book of James, says this. He says, the double-minded person is unstable in all he does. When you look at the term double-minded, what that actually means is it's a split soul. Where the different elements that make up a person have been divided and damaged by sin. You read a little further in that little passage, and you see him say, So therefore, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Sin disintegrates us at every level. And that's why we often hear people refer to this without them even realizing they're saying it when they say things like, I feel like my life is falling apart. Or you hear somebody say, I'm coming apart at the seams. Or maybe you've said, I need to get it together. 
those phrases are a reflection of a soul that's in the state of disintegration. And that's why Peter tells us very clearly in 1 Peter 2, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war with your soul. Soul care is war. It is spiritual warfare. And these sinful desires, they often start with a craving in the mind, then they overpower our will, and then they manifest themselves through our actions of our bodies. And because of this, Paul steps into it in Romans 12 and addresses this head-on when he says this. He says, Therefore, in view of God's mercies, I urge you, which is an appeal to the will, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, In other words, allow your body to be retrained by the power of God. Do not be conformed to the world or the social aspect of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So a question to ask yourself in just your own reflection is this. What is it right now in this season of your life that's causing your soul to feel disintegrated? What is it that perhaps you are trying to grip onto and keep control of instead of releasing it with open palms in an act of surrender? What is it that you have bought into starting to think and believe that is simply not true? What are some patterns that your body has directed itself toward that's not healthy? What relationships perhaps do you need to take a look at and say, you know what, I screwed up. I need to confess. I need to apologize. I need to make it right. As we close this morning, I just want to remind us that we live in a world of lost souls. Everywhere you look, there are people that are broken people. We see it every day at Youth for Christ with the kids we serve. They're just broken. The cool thing is the fact that not only does every broken soul need to be rescued, but we have a rescuer. There is only one person who can save a soul. The Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, I shall not be in want. In other words, I won't be a victim to the insatiable desires of my will, my mind, my body, my relationships. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He's the only one that can. Jesus is our good shepherd. And I don't know if you realize this, but a good shepherd characterizes three things. A good shepherd protects his flock. A good shepherd provides for his flock. And a good shepherd is present with his flock. And that flock can look to the shepherd and know that they're secure because the shepherd is near. I just want to remind us today, folks, whatever the thing is that perhaps we're walking through, Jesus is present. Jesus is there to be a good shepherd. He loves you. He knows your name. He has a plan. He's a protector and a provider, and he's there. He's a good shepherd. And I believe if Jesus was physically here with us and standing right in front of each of us, he would look each of us in the eye today, and in closing, he would extend an invitation Come to me, all of you 
folks here at Praise Community Church who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and I am humble in heart. And then because of all that, you will find rest for your souls. Your soul matters. It's the ultimate treasure in God's eyes. It's so critically important that he gave his one and only son to be sacrificed on a cross so that your soul and my soul could be rescued and restored. This old baseball glove was just a piece of leather on a shelf when I saw it at first. And I took it off the shelf and I purchased it. I spent resources so that I could have this back. And then I took this old glove and I oiled it up and I put it on my hand and I put it to use. And suddenly this glove came alive. Our soul is the same. It's been purchased. And when we allow the Spirit of God to fill it, we become alive. And our story takes on much greater purpose. And we become part of God's greater story. And so this morning as we close, I just want to invite you to pray with me. And let's put ourselves in a posture of surrender of our soul so that we can be made right with who God wants us to be. So let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for the fact that you're a good, good shepherd, that you know our name, that you know our circumstance today, that you are all-powerful and all-knowing, and that right now you can enter into our circumstance and give us peace. You can give us courage. You can give us patience. You can allow everything that's going on that feels beyond what we can handle. God, you've got it. You've got our back. And today, in addition to remembering those who have gone before us to give in their lives, we also remember you, Jesus, because you ultimately gave the greatest sacrifice of your life for all of us, that we might live. So, Father, thank you for that. Take our souls and make them what you want them to be so that your purpose can be carried out. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.